I mean, back in 2017, when I sold my gym and got into it, I was doing ice baths. I was doing deep breathing. I, I was, you know, I was using cannabis and breathing together to really just really connect things to really see how it was. Because I don't believe in over the prescription pills from the VA or anything like that. That's just not who I am. Like I've seen too many buddies who have had PTSD and had those problems, take those things and are no longer here today. Like that's just it, right? So it's kind of like, well, how do I fix myself? And that was one of the things where I get into that and the idea of breathing and meditation and really being okay with self-reflection was when I started really opening the doors to this emotional intelligence, right? I started leveling up in my emotional intelligence is the way I like to look at it. That's all it is, is emotional intelligence. How emotional, how emotional intelligent are you to be able to handle the things in front of you? Hey, hey, Yogi Triathlete community, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jess, I am your host, and today I'm here with Coach Beej and George Briones. George and I ran into each other on the trail one day when I was checking my ego and tending to a sore foot in prep for my spring 50-50, and George was on the cusp of 100K. We continued to run into each other, and I was making deeper connections with George through my trail running buds, and they only had the best things to say about him. And we've been digging in a bit more, and as we continued to do that, there was just no way we couldn't have him on the show. George served as a recon Marine. He is an ultra runner, crossfitter, coach, and dad. He is the director of training and programming at Softly, which is a human performance company enabling the tactical athlete. George is relentlessly pursuing the impossible. He's living off the front and teaching what he has walked. Most recently, he's coming off the San Diego 100, which he described as a dog fight. So with that said, George, welcome to the show. First off, thank you for letting me be on the show. Um, it's been a long time coming. It's, it's crazy that the, the, the road that I've taken, you know, pre-show we talked, you know, we've, we've got a lot of stories going on there and, and we'll probably share them on the the podcast, but you know, a little bit of background for the, the listeners, you know, I liked how you put in there, you know, coming from the military, I went into CrossFit and became an ultra runner. And, and a lot of those things were, were a lot of, because I just was trying to help the individual. It wasn't not just because I wanted to do it for fun. It was more of, I wanted to help the individual just because of the fact that I figured this out as a younger kid, I got to see my father who got super sick with kidney failure and diabetes and everything else. And I had no real way of really helping understanding it. And I knew that kind of hit me in a, in a different way long-term than I realized over time. And, you know, I, I've come from the tactical athlete realm of, of deployments as a recon Marine to becoming a, a basic reconnaissance instructor of the schoolhouse and putting multiple, uh, multiple students through the schoolhouse and graduating, going into the community of the reconnaissance community, which I'm super grateful and blessed to be able to do. You know, and when I was doing that for the last four years that I was in the Marine Corps, it really opened my eyes to like, this is what I want to do for a living. That's, that's it. Like, I want to help individuals go do A, B, C, and D, but at the same time understand how to do it in the proper way. And the only way I thought of doing that at that time period was just go, 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 be this aggressive Marine, drive yourself into the ground, burn both candles from both ends, and hope it sticks. And at that time period, when we go ahead and look at my time period of 2010 to 2014, when I first really got into coaching and when I got back from that Afghan deployment that I was with and with Charlie Company First Recon Battalion, you know, I got sent over to the schoolhouse. It was one of those things where it's like, all right, cool. I just came back from an, a deployment that was very kinetic. And, and if anybody knows the military, you know, or follows the, the reconnaissance community, we were known as the Black Diamonds of Sanging, you know, and that was all companies, the Charlie Company, the, the Bravo Company, you know, our force company that was out there with us as well. Like those things, it was a big thing for us. You know, we were able to have over 500 confirmed kills. 
and come back with no KIAs. We had wounded in, uh, wounded in action, but we had no KIAs. And the company that was out there with us was a grunt company, 3-5 Dark Horse. And it gives me goosebumps still talking about it, but they went combat ineffective within the first month and a half, two months in that deployment in 2010. What does that mean, combat So combat ineffective means that they lost more guys in a short period of time oh than they gosh. could handle. Um, it, and, and that kind of goes to show of how kinetic this place was and, and then the difference. And it, it kind of brought me to when I came back from that deployment, um, I had... had I'd been through a lot already. I've lost, you know, my dad had passed away the, a month before me going on that deployment, came back to my step-grandmother passing away to multiple buddies from other units passed. It's just a whole bunch of craziness. And I came back, I was like, what do I do to fill that, that void of trying to help? Because all you knew for seven months was taking care of the guy to the left and right of you. That's all you knew. And that's all they knew. No other worries in the world. So I was like, man, like, how can I how can I do this outside of combat and in real life? And when I when I signed the paperwork to reenlist and become an, a, a, a tactical instructor for our reconnaissance instructor for the schoolhouse, where now I'm in I'm in the headlight of putting multiple individuals who are chasing this goal of becoming a reconnaissance marine, just like I was, help them understand what health and wellness is, or understand how to manage stress even better. And at that time period, all I knew was war. And a little bit of fitness that I read online and then just everything was trial and error. But the thing is, is that you're, you're, you were doing what, um, a lot of people really hesitate to do was even though you knew you, like you hadn't quite figured it all out yet, you were still, you were throwing yourself <laughs> into it. Like, okay, well the fact is I'm still here yeah, and so I've got to have something that I can share and teach. And that was a lot of it, right? Because again, we did come back. When we did come back, we obviously didn't lose anybody, right? Well, we had wounded in action. But that void of, of, or not that void, but that passion of taking care of the guy that left and right, because it came down to life or death. Let's just be real. It came down to consequences. You make a certain, there's an, every action has a reaction. So every choice that you made in combat reflected either on you or the guys that left and right you. It's like playing Russian roulette, right? And that's kind of the way I look at life. That's realistically what it is. We're playing Russian roulette with life. It's just how far are you willing to take it to play Russian roulette with life? So you're talking about risk. A risk, exactly. Yeah. Right? And, and that's what it was. I was putting myself in a position of risk at all times. Now I transfer over back into the real world. Now I get to help students in the schoolhouse get ready for this type of, this risk that they're about to approach. And granted, you know, from 2010 to 2012 when I got out, like war started slowly dying out. And now we're not in a huge war as we were at that time period. So yes, we got guys ready for those the kind of deployments to manage that kind of stress that was coming. Well, I now look at the tactical athlete community and how they manage stress so well, it can be transferred over to everyday life too. Oh, 100%. It, it is, right? Like, and I always say this, this is the reason why a lot of people look up to the veteran community because we are some of the most um, high performers out there. And think about that. You get put in a stressful situation, you have to perform no matter what. You might not perform to the best of your ability, but you perform. That's all that matters. So when you're, this is a, this is good. Um, I want to talk about noticing. So these people, you're you're working with them to to do sort of what, not to do sort of what you to do what you did. Yeah. Are you able to articulate how you were able to just continue to push through and, and face those risks, but yet not 
go, you know, go overboard. Like you're, you're seeing these risks, they come in. Yeah. Can you articulate that to the people that you were training? Is there a way that you yes, were able to uh, just I, I look at it this way, right? I, I it's great. It's, there's a saying I always just tell my students was, I'm not training to be just as good as me. I'm training to be better than me. And what that meant was, is yes, I'm training you to handle these risks plus more so that you now are able to go into a situation and be like, I've been here before. I know what that feels like. And, and again, it might be completely different in different in experiences, environments, but you somewhat understand that risk. And now you can make the conscious and the right choices to go ahead and come out of that risk on the right side instead of the wrong side of it. Because we do see guys on the wrong side. We go ahead and take free soloists who climb without ropes. And those things like Alex Howell, who just passed away yesterday from climbing a rock in North County, or in, I mean, North Carolina, fell to his death yesterday. He was pushing the limits. And understanding pushing those limits, we have risk. It's the same thing in the idea of, of when we look at the tactical athlete, when we go ahead and go and push the athlete into these risks, they need to be able to handle that stress at such a high pace to come out of it. Right? So at the end of the day, I'm not training the athlete to be just as good as me. I want them to be better than me. So when we're talking about risk, we're talking about the unknown. The unknown, yeah. And, and this is what makes folks who are, um, let, me put, let me phrase it this way. The untrained mind can be a real limiter when it comes to the unknown. And it will hold back that human yep. if that mind is not trained, right? Yeah. If the mind is the master and not the servant, it will hold that human back from taking the risk from walking into the unknown. Exactly. So how did you prepare or, and how do you prepare your athletes now? Wow. Because you, you're coaching this to walk into the unknown, to keep taking that next step into the unknown with confidence. Yeah, so I'm gonna back up because I'll go ahead and use myself first of how I how I was ready for the unknown. I, I mean, I came from a, 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 a lifestyle as a kid of of not your typical traditional type path. I was uh, an all star soccer player, goalkeeper for a very long time. I got into drugs and started selling drugs for a long time and had to pull myself out of that hole. And I learned how to be in stressful situations because the environment I was in at that time period, which gave me the tools to be okay with the unknown coming forward. So it's kind of the same thing now with athletes today, you know, that I train, because I train athletes who are getting ready for ultra marathons. I got athletes who are training for selections, you know, from LEO to special operations to boot camp to even just the fire department, right? We get, I, I get to impact that. And then I got CrossFit athletes who are functional fit athletes. I got weightlifters also. It's like, how can I train you to be just as ready for that specific moment when you compete? And that's a big question, right? Like I ask myself that all the time and it's always changing. And it comes down to the individual. I have to figure out what makes that individual click so they can perform at this certain arousal state when it is time to perform, right? Because if I don't understand that athlete, I can't help them. Right, you have, to, you have to be able to speak their language. I have to be able to speak their language. And meet and, them where they're at. And how do you do that? And so the way I do that is literally by sitting there and getting to know the individual. I, I create this buy-in, right? And from this buy-in, I create this trust and this communication aspect. And from there on, once I understand their language and what they're doing, I start trying to create similarities and, and bridges to everything they're doing from life to fitness and fitness to life. How important is listening? That is the biggest thing that I have had to work on the longest time. It, it's funny, like my partner, she, she makes fun of me. She's like, you have more girl, girl athletes than you, you got guy athletes. Oh, that's BJ. It's just what it is. And it's, it's because I've learned to be very good at listening. I'll sit there and listen to my, to my female athletes about anything. 
and just listen, but I start learning this about them. And if you just sit there and listen for a few minutes, you start understanding what makes them click. Mm -hmm. You know, I have an athlete who just got done running Georgia death race this past year. She came to me eight weeks prior to the race. What is the Georgia death race? You never heard of the Georgia death race? No. Georgia death race is on the East coast and it is a 70 mile race with over 20 K invert. What? Yeah. And you put your lottery in right now. I think today's the last day you can put your, uh, your lottery in your <laughs> I'll number. I'll say it again. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like some of the, there's some fast people putting out some fast times at like 14, 15 hours over there. But then you got athletes who are running for 24 hours for 70 miles over over 20k invert on the east coast they call the east coast is the beast coast right like we say this the west coast is the best coast their mountains are completely different than our mountains on this side yeah Yeah. you know but going back to that athlete and figuring out how to make her click to accomplish this goal because i knew right away eight weeks is eight weeks is a decent amount of time to get ready for a for a big race like that but a lot of stuff comes into to play behind that also. What does your annual training look like? What were you doing in the past? How have you been training in the past? What is your aerobic capacity like? What is your aerobic function like? I need to look at all these things. Plus, what's your life like? Do you have the support outside of your life to let you go chase the dragon that we were talking about pre-show? Because that's really what it is, right? There's just this dragon that we fight. Every single one of us fight this dragon to make ourselves feel better, right? It's just in count. Do you have the support behind you to chase that dragon? Or are you putting that support in a bad position to chase that dragon? Because if you don't have that support there, then we got problems. And that was one of the things that I took from there. And we're using her example. I found what made her click. I found like, Hey, she needs confidence and she needs the support and let her know it's okay. And the time period that we're doing this is only for, is only temporary. Because once you get through all this and you do the race and when you accomplish that race, you do get up level an up yeah. level but you also do get a sense of relief and a break mm-hmm. yeah and then and then the unknown becomes the known and the more that you allow the unknown and it really is allowing allowing yourself yeah. to go there allowing the unknown to become the known you realize that like that staircase is just it's never ending it's that never there ending. is no limits to what we can well, uh, I, I don't even like to say achieve, but can allow into our experience here on earth. Come to the surface, right? We're yeah. always putting these limits. We're the limiters. We're, exactly. we're the one putting the limits on ourselves. Basically what you're doing is you're listening, cueing in on what drives them or what the driver needs to be, and then reacting to that. And it's already inside them. It's yeah. already there. If they had the intuition to come see you as a coach or to go do this event, it's already there. Yeah. It's just like peeling away the stuff, focusing on what they have, the support system, the high capacity to train. Maybe they have limited hours. Maybe yep. their nutrition needs some work. It's pinpointing the things that is, you already know, but it's what do we focus on with this unique individual? It, 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 I call it the building the pyramid for the athlete. It's the way I look at it. Every athlete's pyramid is going to be completely different. You know, Jess, your pyramid's going to be different. Your pyramid's going to be different. And what gets you to perform at your highest capacity? And it's just finding that puzzle. And, and, the way I, the way I look at health and wellness and, and, and fitness and, and when I recreate programs, I look at it as like art. And I've explained that before on previous podcasts of listeners and if people are coming from listening, but I've explained it as art. I come from an art background. I, I used to play music in school. I used to draw and paint my, my, my aunt's a big time painter in, in Oakland and does all those things. So I've been ingrained that way. And that's why I take just health and wellness in general and take someone's life to really develop this picture for them. Right. Because every artist, doesn't develops multiple different pictures all the time. And my goal with one individual athlete is to develop multiple different pictures that creates this big massive mosaic that looks just beautiful. 
And that's how I look at it. Every stroke of my paintbrush is a set and rep or time duration or rest. It all just comes into play to develop this picture. But not just that though, now we go ahead and look at the foundation of what does their life look like outside of that? Like you talked about nutrition, sleep, what is their stress management techniques? What are their coping mechanisms? I'm going to school for sports psychology right now. So it's like being able to have all this understanding finally. And I know you guys just had a, had a podcast with a sports psychologist also. I'm going to school for a bachelor's in it. Who knows, I might go for a master's, but it's one of those things where it's just connecting the dots for me and develop a huge picture and a mosaic of that athlete's life. So a lot of what you do is requiring presence. Yeah. So what's presence to you? How do you define that? You know, words are difficult. I'm going to say that out loud. Well, they're, li- they're limiting. They're limiting. Yeah. Words are limiting, right? It's like, what is presence? And, and you said it best, BJ, is listening. Just listen. It, listening and communication is probably the two most things that I, two most important things in someone's life to be present in front of them. If I wasn't listening to you right now or communicating with you, I'm not present. It's the truth. So the the two words that I'm going to use of what equals present is, you know, listening and communication equals presence. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's what I, that's how I look at it. And, And I have a conversation with my buddies all the time, my buddy Keegan and my buddy Kyle, who are some really good coaches also in the realm of functional fitness and all that stuff. When we talk about all the time, we try and utilize words without confusing people. You know, we talked about today, muscle endurance. Muscle endurance is such a broad spectrum in how we utilize it in every sport that we can look at. Then we start talking about aerobic power output to help develop muscle endurance. We start talking about anaerobic power output. And then we start talking about aerobic power endurance, anaerobic power. Like there's so much stuff behind it. But at the end of the day, though, if we can, if we can listen and communicate, that's going to put us in a position of being present to understand the athlete at the end of the day. That's, that's it. One of the things that I love about you, and there's many things that I love about you, but <laughs> one you. of the things I love about you is that, and, and that I can very much relate to, it's if you want to assist somebody in doing something, like you want to feel it and experience yep. it firsthand. So let's touch upon um, this dog fight that you had at the yeah. SD100. Like wh- what made it a dog fight and, and what did you, because you got to the finish line. And yeah. so what was it that, you know, where do you pull from when you're in those, I've, I haven't run a hundred yet, but uh, was this, was this your wording? first? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> was this your first hundred? Second. Second, Second hundred. Yeah. Yep. So let's, let's just dive into it. What, what made yeah. it a dogfight and how did you get to that finish line? So, you know, the saying everyone says run happy. It, you literally have to run happy to be able to accomplish such task. And the reason why is because if you don't run happy and you run miserable, it, it just makes that much, makes it that much more miserable because running a hundred miles is not fun. It's it's a different it's a different beast, and it does become fun over time. But training for it and doing all those things, it 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 does take a lot from you. And this is what made it a dogfight. Was I've chased the dragon for so long, and when I talk about chasing the dragon, I talk about filling a void that I was missing for so long from a couple of deployments that I got to do and come back into a world where I'm no longer chasing that dragon or put in that position for risk. Let's just use that use risk. We'll take dragon, make it risk. And I put myself now in those positions, right? When we go and look at my track record in terms of as athletic endeavors and coaching endeavors, tactical athlete world, into the CrossFit functional world, into the weightlifting world, into the endurance, into the ultra endurance, I've hit across balls, all spectrums. I've coached powerlifters, I've coached strongman athletes, I've done all those things. But it's always been because I'm chasing the next risk. And it's led me to this day to where ultra endurance gave me that risk. Well, 
I finally came to this epiphany during the race was, is like, wait a minute, like I'm not running for fun. I'm running, trying to chase this void. That's actually putting my family in a position that's not fair. Right. Let's, I'm going to put it in So you're content. having this realization during the SD 100. And, and actually it was weird. The couple weeks prior to that I was having really like, cause I signed up for Tahoe 200 this year, which I won't be running this year. And this is the first time talking about it and actually really explaining in why in my mindset, and I'm really happy I'm able to do it on this podcast just because of the individuals who you are and you guys understand. It's just a very calming and, and, and just really blessed to be able to do that. Because your worthiness is not tied into that Tahoe 200. I had to learn that. I learned that about <laughs> mile 64 after running for about 16 hours. Okay, let's dig into mile 64 then. It, well, the thing is though, 64 all the way up to 84 was great. That was the best part of my race. That's mm. the fun. Mile zero to, to 64 hurt the whole time. The whole time hurt because I wasn't running for just having fun or running for just me. I was running because I thought I had to chase the next big thing in my life. When, again, putting this in the context for everybody or context for everybody, I have a 36-week-old uh, girlfriend at home right now or she's at work today, but she was 33 weeks crewing me. 33 weeks crewing me. So I'm super baby, blessed. You I got a baby on the way. Yeah. And Which, ta- and she's a legit crewer. You were she was a legit like, crew. Like anybody listening that knows me that were out there <laughs> watching this, you want to talk about having like, we can give a crew class too. And this is only her, like her second hundred, but multiple ultras with me. And I think it just comes from the military side of me. And she understood and she's a really good learner. So we come in and it's like, boom, boom, boom. She knows. Like you see some of like, we watch Western States. You see some of those top guys where they have everything out. I'm the same way. I might not as fast as them, but I come in, I know what I need. I need water. I need this. I need this. I need this. She's boom, boom, boom. I'm in and out of eight stations. That's it. Yeah. So she's totally showing up for you. A hundred percent. And what did that teach you? And that taught me that I need to show up for her as well, that I can't be putting the, the, my dragon that I'm chasing for the next big thing in front of my family. And I need to be okay with that. And that, like you said, my worth isn't tied into chasing the next big thing. My worth is my kids. My partner, my third child getting ready to come, that was my worth. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to race. And, and it, in the past two weeks leading up to this point, I had a, it was really hard for me. I was depressed because I, wasn't, I still hadn't figured out why I was not running Tahoe. And, and I knew it was because of, of those things and I wanted to experience those things. But I still was like, I'm, feeling, I'm missing a void still. So what is it? And it's like, oh, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy still chasing things. But I can still chase things and manage it even better now without making that athletic endeavor the main compartment of my life. And that's where I'm at now. It's like I talk about being able to manage stress and manage your life and everything else like that. I'm at the point now to where I finally understood it. It took me to run, take me to run multiple hundred mile races and whatever else and put a 200 mile race in there and being like, I'm not running that after all. Is the void real or is it an unhelpful belief system? Dang, I, I honestly, I, I'm actually looking for that answer. I'm not going to lie to you because it can hurt me, but it also can help me grow because I go in and take those two out and look at it. The void has helped me get to where I'm at today in terms of the knowledge and the wisdom that I have in my life and not just in life, but in coaching. But then also it also has taken away from other relationships in the past and it's put me in places where I shouldn't have been. Does that make, so it's kind of like a, a contrast of both mixed together is, is filling that void. Where do you feel the void in your body? That's a good question. I actually, I actually really feel the void like in the heart. Okay. 
that's, that's where I really feel it is in the heart. And what does it feel like? It's just an empty piece of like, of me. Like it's, it's like just a piece that's not, not there anymore. Right. And like when I'm doing like a hundred mile race, like when I'm running at nighttime, when I'm running at nighttime, that void is just that piece of that is, is so full running at nighttime. And, and so it, what's the quality of it when it's full? Oh, pure happiness. And that's the reason why mile 64 to 84 was the best time for me well, at that hundred mile race. Because you, you, you had this, um, I don't know, aha, you had this realization, right? You, you had freedom. Uh-huh. I had freedom. I had this aha moment, but it also brought me back to the time period when I was in on a deployment in Afghanistan in 2010 at nighttime patrolling. And I felt like I was being hunted and I was feel like, or I was hunting someone else that life or death feeling. And at nighttime, when the sun goes down and you get to see multiple headlights running around the ridgelines and you get to start trying to catch them, that is fun. That is cool to me. That, is, that makes me happy. Running 100 miles and running in general makes me happy. It does. But the three weeks leading up into that race, I was not running happy. It was just running just to run. I was miserable, unhappy. But then all of a sudden, mile 64 came around. And during mile 64 is when I made that realization. So this, you know how this feels, right? You know how it feels when the void is, is filled. Yep. So if you know how that, what that feels like, what would life for you look look like if when you felt that in everyday life that you practiced feeling what it feels like to have that void filled? I've actually felt that that void has been filled now for the past, probably since last week when I made this, this choice and this epiphany and everything else like that. I had multiple, multiple conversations with individuals who were mentors to me and I look up to. And it, <clears throat> it came down to take the experiences of hanging out with your, with your kids and your family and putting them there to fill that void. And it's been the best feeling in the world. Like I, I no longer, like I was talking to the partner, I was talking to my partner, like and we were talking about it. I was like, I wake up in the morning sometimes not knowing what I want to do for training because I can do it all. Perhaps that void was never really there. No, it, it literally, it's like, cool. I ran a hundred miles. Cool. I think it's important to note too, that it's, it's an all or nothing thing. It is. It's not like I had no, okay. Now I'm going to spend time with my kids and I'm not going to do ultra running because the ultra running, I can't do the hundred or the 200, right? Yeah. So I'm going to spend time with my kids. It's not, that's not what this is about. And no. that's. The mentality I think of, of endurance athletes is that it's got to be all or nothing. I either get in the full workout or I get nothing in. Yeah. I either go for the big Ironman race or I don't do anything at all. But when you do the work, right? You do the work. The the maybe all that work was done from mile one or mile zero to sixty four. Like that's where you're carrying that weight and all the work is doing. Maybe subconsciously it's just you're working it out and then an aha moment comes. You begin to realize like it, there's yeah I could do this or not do this. And I can spend time with my family and still train and still reframe what it is I want to do. Yeah. Coming to that realization that you're not attached to that, that big thing. It's not all or nothing. Yeah. And, and, and again, like you go, what was that realization coming into mile 64 and hearing that she's only slept 30 minutes in the past 20 hours that we've been awake? 33 weeks pregnant. No. That like pissed me off. I was like, that's not fair to her. Or whatever but else. She, but she just kept she showing loved up it. for you. And she was, and she'll tell me, and she'll sit here today if she was here right now. She's like, I'll still support him and do that, even with a six-week-old baby with me so, at Tahoe if he wanted it. It's so interesting how just her being in loving service of you allowed, and, and just like in this neutrality, like just showing up for you and holding that space for you allowed you the freedom to have this realization. And I think it's important to note that I have felt this very similar void that you have felt, you know, and, and really that's what drove me to this, you know, meditation and yeah. mindfulness. Cause I was like, there's, 
like there's got to be something more. And if there's not, I really don't want to be here anymore. What I realized was that the void was actually almost like a block. It was like, well, wait a minute. There actually isn't a void that I can, I don't, my happiness isn't in the future. My worth is not in the future. It's right here, right now. But that doesn't mean that when you were talking about the headlamps on the ridgeline that I wasn't like, had this visual of me being there and like, oh my God. Like, yeah. So we can, I want people to know, like, it's not just about this, um, all of these incredible adrenaline filled pursuits that we love and that takes us to this higher level of feeling alive. Those don't have to be shelved for the rest of our life because we've realized that we can be happy right now. Like, I think that that's just like, that's frosting. And there's yeah. times in our life where... Um, sometimes we put the 200 on hold. Sometimes we say, no, 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 this is exactly what we need yeah. to go for that. Um, I do believe you can have it all. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. That's where I'm at right now. I can have it all. I can you run have to it all already. Exactly. I have it already. But again, it's awesome to sit here and be, and but I'm still very humbled by it. I'm still very cautious about it because we do get complacent. Complacency kills. So you see how I try and tie the military of the ideas of what we've been taught there and, and those leadership traits and skills over to my everyday life now. That's all I'm doing. So I'm creating these similarities within myself so I can have it all. Because it's, it's the same thing, right? People are like, you worked a lot. And I'm like, Not, I mean, I, I work quite a bit. I work hard. I also enjoy working hard. I enjoy doing what I do, right? It's okay. Like I have, I, luckily I'm in a position to where I make my own schedule. Like I'm really in that position to do it. You guys ask, well, you know how it is but we have to be disciplined individuals about it. Oh, hell yeah. And that right there, that discipline word, is probably the biggest word that I like to look at and when I try and teach athletes is like, look, I'm, I don't care about anything else, but I wanna teach you discipline. Because if I can teach you discipline, that carries over throughout the rest of your life. So how would you go about, what's one of the first steps you could take to help someone who's like, you know, a new athlete comes to you and they're like, this is, I really want to do this. Like, I'm, I know it's really hard for the three of us to believe and to deal with, but there are people out no, there yeah. that are not it's very disciplined. Challenge. They're like, I, this is what I want to do. It's so crazy. And then you tell them what they need to do and they start along the way, but then they, they see the different, you know, the external stimulus comes in and they want to deviate from the plan. Oh, well, this person's doing this. Well, maybe I should be doing this. It's the, they get caught up in the distraction. Caught, right. The focus. I think I, I think discipline has a lot to do with being the master of your mind. It, it, and that is what I, the word I'm going to use is trust. Oh, that's a big one. Let's dive into that. Trust. I I cannot coach an athlete unless I have their full 100% trust. And I've been doing this long enough, and I've trained guys in the military to be able to do this long enough to know when I have someone's trust. You just you just have that click, right? You understand it, right? You're like boom. And whenever you can develop that deeper underlying connection of trust, and that comes down to not just asking about their athletic endeavors, knowing their life, their kids, their family, all those things, and creating that, and, and just listen like we talked about, and, and, and being present, right? We talk about listening, communicating equals present. That's another thing. If I can be present at all times, I develop their trust. And if I can develop their trust and then explain to them why they're doing it, that's my second step. Explain to them why and create the understanding because the only reason why they're doing that or they want to go ahead and do that is because they don't know what is the right way. And again, my right way might not be your right way and it might not be your right way, but at least we're all moving in the same direction. Again, because it's all our prior experiences that helped us there. So yes, trust is my number one thing that I work on with my athletes. And I tell them, I tell athletes who come to me all the time, you know, and even is this, 
It's going to take me about eight to 12 weeks to really dial in your programming. And they're like, what? Yeah, it takes me eight to 12 weeks to really dial it in. Why? Because I take my time and I pay attention to what your feedback is to me and I try and see what we're doing and I understand. And I also want to see how compliant you are and disciplined you are in following the program. Did you do like I asked? Even the smallest detail matters, right? I call micro movement dictates macro movement. If I can focus on some of the smallest things possible and they can take care of that, those small things do lead up to, multi, to a bigger thing. But once we start missing those small things and chasing the big things, our, 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 our pyramid starts to drop and starts to fall. So it goes back to the whole idea of like, I need to build that trust. I need to be present for them. And then te teaching them to understand what is going on and why they're doing it. Hey, why did you have me do you know, three by 10 back squats at 65% for a strength athlete. Well, I'm building hypertrophy and you, you have me resting two minutes. Yeah, I'm building hypertrophy. Or if I take an athlete who is in a aerobic base phase, hey, we're gonna be doing a bunch of max aerobic function work. I need you to keep your heart rate minus 10, 10 beats or 15 beats below your max aerobic function heart rate for your run, your bike, your swim or whatever. And if you can't do that, then we have a problem. You're not disciplined enough to be able to handle what you're chasing because now if you're not, being disciplined enough and just that small, minute thing in programming, go, let's go look at what your sleep's like. Let's go look at your nutrition. Let's go and look at the choices you make, right? And if I can develop a smart and disciplined athlete, they're bulletproof. So what happens when you're doing all those action steps, you're listening, you're all of that, and they're just not showing up for the work? Multiple phone calls. I have a, I have a system and, and I've fired athletes because of this. I'm okay with firing athletes. It just doesn't work between us. You don't, you're not in the place just yet to work with a coach like me. That's just it. You're just not like, I, I feel like I'm a very unique type of coach who works with athletes. And, and I believe that, right, is in terms of like, well, it's not working between us in this next 12 weeks. I'm not gonna coach you anymore. And I've fired athletes. And I, I had one athlete out here who tried to be a mentor underneath me and everything else like that. And I was like, hey, you wanna mentor underneath me? You have to follow my programming and you have to do it to the T. You have to sleep, you have to focus on all these things. I gave him 12 weeks, couldn't do it. Hey, my sleep's still four hours a night. Oh, I got a little bit of training here or whatever else or whatever else. It's like, so if you can't put time into that, what makes me think you're gonna put time into trying to learn from me, right? Again, it goes back to the small things. So I, I'll sit here and tell the athlete, hey, look, you're not in the place where, or I'll, I'll sit there and understand and learn them and give them feedback. Right, like I've had an athlete who was with me for 12 weeks and did I do enough work in that 12 weeks to make her have a realization that she doesn't really love ultra running or she doesn't really enjoy doing these things? Oh yeah. And they come off programming, go do their life thing. I'm all about it. That's cool because again, it's not a paycheck for me. I wanna make sure that you're living the best life possible. So if you come to me to help you do those things, I'm gonna go ahead and help you do those things. And if that means that we get to a point to where, hey look, you chasing a 50 mile race at this time moment in your life, isn't what it needs to be, then it isn't what is it to be, and it's okay. Let's go ahead and step back, let's take a look at what you have around you, and let's figure out what makes you happy. Oh, cool, you like to mountain bike more, you like to swim more, you like to go lift weights more, cool, I don't care. Now the old coach in me, the old GB3 back in 2011, 12, 13, would have been like, no, you're fucking doing it, and that is whatever, excuse my language, sorry, <laughs> but you're doing it. Now I'm at the point now to where it's like, cool, you don't wanna do that, fine, what do you wanna do? And I'm in, I'm in a position as a coach to where I can do it all. Right. And that's, um, that's detachment. And so in Tim Dixon, who we had on, uh, that we just launched, you know, he was talking about how, you know, he, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, he had this agenda and 
as disciplined, motivated people, like I don't need a motivational video. Like I've, that's in my DNA. Yeah. Like I'm going to show up and I'm going to do the work. And on race day, like I transform into somebody completely different. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, who's this girl, you know? And we can very easily, when we're caught up in my way is the right way, push an agenda on people. Yeah. And that listening piece is so big. And I think that's what really allows us to be um, amazing coaches. Yeah. Is the listening and meeting people where they're at and detaching from the fact. And I, you know, I say this to BJ sometimes uh, with some of our athletes. I'm like, frankly, babe, like not everybody wants to go to Kona. Yeah. And how, how can you, without losing your shape, without losing your intelligence, without losing your ability to listen... How can you meet them exactly where they're at? And that, and that takes special work as a coach, right? Because we're chasing goals. I know BJ's pushing hard right now. But how do we detach that from putting that on someone else? Because it usually happens, right? And that's what, when I first started coaching weightlifting and CrossFit and all that good stuff, all I wanted them to do was make it to nationals. Every time I got an athlete, it was like, <laughs> let's get to nationals. Let's get to nationals. But was that, and it comes down to self-serving. And they were like, I just want to feel better in my pants. Exactly, right? It's like, and then all of a sudden I ingrained this false attachment to something and I'm the one to blame for it. I keep, for, I had to learn that, hey, as a, as a coach, as a performance coach or however you want to call me or, or an educator, I like to say educator also, I have to, I influence a lot of people, but I also want to learn how to influence, I want to influence them in the right way and not create these detachments or the detachments in the wrong way. And, and was I there before in the past? A hundred percent. Do I see coaches there now? 100%. And I want to help those coaches. I want to be able to grab those coaches and sit them around in a circle and be like, hey, this is what life is. And this is how we do things. Like those are some of the goals that I like and, and passions that I have for people, right? Again, it's all about teaching and, and doing those things. So yes, right? Like taking that idea and being like, you know what? Let's go ahead and get you ready for life instead. Right. Yeah. Let's let's create long let's call let's let's create longevity, sustainability, and durability so that you can go play with your kids. It hurts my heart to hear parents nowadays tell their kids that they can't go play with them outside because they're tired from work or because they can't walk up the stairs. Why? Why would you do that to your children? You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. or, or just in general, right? And that's it's it's you that's that's just real life. You know, we will have those athletes that want to go to nationals, right? Yeah. And that's that's amazing. One thing I've learned as a meditation coach and mindfulness coach is, um, which was a shocker to me, was like, not everybody wants to reach the super conscious state in this existence. What? Because every day I sit in meditation, I'm like, here I come, super I'm conscious looking, state. And, and, and that's another thing too, though. I got big into breathing, meditation, all that stuff. And for the longest time, I chased how far I can get deep into my brain. <laughs> Just like you said right now, that's exactly what it was. And it's like, I have to realize that, um, and I was there too, like... There was a time where I just wanted to be able to sleep through the night and not wake up in a panic. Yeah. And I think that we need to remember that, that we've, we've been there too. You know, you back in the day of selling drugs, actually, I want to touch upon this. Yeah. What, do you remember a moment where you're like, what am I doing? I got to get out of this. And you were young, right? What teenager? I was 16, 17. 16, 17. <laughs> Go, like you were going down a path that uh -huh. might've put you behind bars or, or, you know, six feet under. So... Do you remember what it was, like a moment where you're like, I got to get out of this? There was that's a, a scary thing to get out of, There too. was a couple of them. One was getting getting pulled over and arrested. And when I say arrested, it was more of like the cops scared me in general. They just put me in handcuffs, sat me on the side, searched my vehicle. And I'm, I'm 16 years old, driving around in a 2007 or six Montero Sport on like spinners and like 
like I'm, I'm Dude, from, you were asking for it. Oh, hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm, I'm living in San Antonio, Texas thinking I'm hot shit and like working for this pizza company and selling drugs and selling pizza at the same time. I dropped out of school for a little bit because I was like, I can make a living doing this hustling in the streets and doing whatever. And then my grandma, my grandma, you know, the look on her face when she saw that, like one, I lost like 20 pounds, I think within the past, like two years from just doing drugs and whatever else. She, she really said something to me that was like, she's like, what are you doing with your life? Are you trying to live your dad's life? Who's, who was sick already mm. at the age? Like you're only 16, 17. Like, what are you doing? And like that stuck to me. And like, and, and I've talked about my grandma and like those, that life, that, that, that lifetime period, she was my rock. And she said things and I did them. My grandpa, he said things, I did them. I still try and hopefully, you know, walk the path that my grandfather did for my grandma. They were married for 70 plus years. And my grandma was by his deathbed for the entire time he was passing away. Like that right, I'm, it's funny, I'm very untraditional, but traditional. Right, right. I love the grandma because the grandma has come up a few times in life-changing moments on this podcast and different stories. It, and, 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 like that. and that has been a big part of who I, of what 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 I'm doing and why I do it nowadays because of her discipline she instilled in me. My grandpa's discipline he's instilled in me of of just you know being a good human, being a good person. And that none of those days of you driving around in your asking for it mobile and, and selling drugs and selling pizza. And none of that was a waste. No, it all brought you to where you are today. Oh, hundred percent. Like if I didn't live that lifestyle, I wouldn't be able to be as disciplined or as, or, or, or be okay with the lifestyle that I live now. Yeah. And thank God for that cop that just scared the heck out of you. hundred I mean, percent. What a, what a beautiful being. He knew exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He's like, Oh, this is a good kid. I, and, and I gotta, and, and I gotta play again, this role probably, right now. He probably was listening, probably really wanted kids to find the other side versus like yeah. you know making a statement and, and, and i know? wasn't your your normal like kid to being banging going, like doing that stuff i was a kid who dressed like this it was in cargo shorts and a t-shirt and a polo shirt with a hat backwards and in regular shoes i looked like a normal kid like what the hell are you doing with this kid who has his pants down his pants and has a wad of like 500 dollars in his pocket and luckily we had no drugs in the car but we had just got done dropping them off could you feel like that was just a vibe that was not good yeah, once I got put in handcuffs and sat on that curb and like, you know, whatever else sitting next to the other guy that that was with and saw how he turned on me and just like, yeah, it was kind of one of those things, right? And then like from there, like my grandma and then my mom too, like my mom's been a big part of my life as well. And like, she brought me back with open arms, yeah. you know, after doing that, leaving the house and doing those things. So it, it really did shape who I am today and make me how resilient I am today, I guess, plus my other experiences, right? Like, again, like, I guess I was prepping for the unknown before the un before I even knew what the unknown was. Of course, of course. And you have these strong women who love you unconditionally in your life, and you've got one right now that's oh. carrying another little oh. future woman um, that's yeah. going to be coming into this world. And uh, that's a really strong, like, divine feminine. There's no question why you have a lot of female athletes like that's something that's really strong within you and you talking about the Tahoe 200 and not doing it you know we were BJ was catching I, I caught the tail end of them Brene Brown's Netflix special last night BJ was listening to it and she's talking about vulnerability and she's like vulnerability is not getting on social media and talking about like um your divorce or <laughs> you know um putting a picture of yourself without makeup on or you know she's like it's not that it's not like it's not the overshare that we see so often it's showing up for something that you don't think you're going to be able to do mm -hmm. and showing up with it 
with courage. And you, you know, just talking about this Tahoe 200 and saying like, you know, these girls and, and two of Georgia's girls are, are here yeah, right with now me. with us. They're so amazing. Um, that's really vulnerable as a, you know, a Marine, as a super strong guy, as a coach, as an ultra endurance yeah. athlete to sit here and say, you know what, these girls and this woman that's carrying my, my third child, like they matter to me. And that takes a lot of courage to say that love is more important than this dragon that I'm chasing. Yeah. And, but it's taken me almost nine, over nine years to figure that out, almost 10 years to figure that out. But I had to figure it out through trial and error. And what does vulnerability <clears throat> feel like to you? Man, that's, that's something that I've, I've had to work through for a long time because I'm not going to lie to you, going, being on a deployment where you wake up every morning not knowing if you're going to bed that night, you become very shut off to compassion and empathy and, and emotions in general. You like, have to. I mean, you, you're, you, you're fight or flight. You have to, right? And, 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 I, and I've said this in the past and I've, and, and I've thought this out loud too, but it's kind of one of those things is where it's like, man, everyone in my life to this point has really taught me what vulnerability is. Right, all the experiences and all the heartaches and all the happiness and all those things have really put me in a place to really be vulnerable now and being okay with, you know, putting my family first or saying that I I love somebody or I'm okay with talking about it. Right, like if you follow me on social media, I, I don't put my private life on there. I just don't believe doing that. Like I have my own personal stuff for them, and I have that because again, like I, I I'm a very vulnerable dude in terms of people that are super close with me. If you're in my circle you're going to get all the support and love for me like no other. And, and people in my, in my inner circle know that. And that is how I've learned to transfer vulnerabilities by being okay with having empathy and having compassion for somebody else and putting myself in their shoes and being like, you know what, boom. Because I put myself in, in again, in, in my partner's shoes that night when we were running that, I was running that 100-mile race. It's like, how does she feel right now, 33 weeks pregnant, not slept for 20 hours and only had 30 minutes of sleep, what I'm doing compared to what she's doing is a whole nother level. And I respect that more than what I'm doing right now. Let's, let's, let me have fun with this so she can see that I'm having fun with this because I was miserable with the fucking multiple aid stations she saw me at and she had it like, now that stresses her out, right? So I had to put myself in her shoes and I had to create that, that, that empathy and that compassion for another human being. And becoming a dad was the biggest thing that did that. Arissa, like my oldest, Open my eyes to that. Open my eyes to it, right? Ha having, a, having a child opens your eyes right away because you can't love nothing more than that. <laughs> and you continue loving it. Like I'm tearing up a little bit, right? Like, and my second, my second, Malia, like, like I wasn't able to be around Arissa's life at this time period or age as much as I wanted to because I used to run a gym. And we talked about pre-show. I kept her... I was like, hey, baby girl, go in the kids' room. I got to coach and teach all day. And then we would drive home, and she would want to talk to me after being in the gym from 8 to 8 in the afternoon or in, all day. And be like, hey, baby girl, it's quiet time now. Because I wasn't working through it, but I loved her to death. And I, and I had to sit back and look and be like, why did I do that to her? Mm, she do you still carry a little bit of that? Little oh, I carry it. Like, that's so, self-forgiveness. Uh-huh. So like my youngest, I haven't talked about this before ever. This is the first time talking about it, but my youngest, That's Malia, what happens on the show. Yeah. <laughs> he did have one cacao bean. I did. So. Yeah. And That's I've had about 10, so <laughs> you might want to catch up to me. Um, but my, 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 my second, Malia, you know, she lives close to me now. And I've, since I sold the gym, I had this time now to be around in her life so much more. And her mom will say it too. She's like, you, you're a 180 degree difference from what, and you're running the business to where you're at now. And it, it is because I gained that vulnerability and that, and that empathy and compassion. Like, 
You know, sometimes I feel bad because I spend more time with Malia because she's down here than my older one because she's up with her mom all the time, you know, it's just how it works. But I've learned to be like, no, it's okay. Like these are all reasons in your life for whatever, for whatever reason they've taught you vulnerability. And now whenever Arissa comes down, like that's my, my times with her. Like, yeah, she's, uh, I mean, she's here now and I had a little bit of time to spend with them before the mics went on. Cause I like to get my kid fixed and, uh, she's an old soul. And yes. so she's very much in service of you, but let's touch upon this forgiveness thing. Like, because that is like you, you love them so much, right? But you had this time where you were showing up in the best way that you could, mm -hmm. but you're showing up differently. You're showing up more expanded now. And so how, how do you self-forgive? Like, I mean, there's people that listen to this show that are trying to self-forgive from binge eating or from, you know, driving their body into the ground or from being nasty to their spouse. Like, how do you self-forgive? I actually have this conversation with my athletes more than anything else. And, and it's come down now to being here for her is how I self-forgive now. Because I can't make up the time in the past, right? And I can't, I can't make up the time in the past. All I can do is be okay with the past and understand that shaped me who I am today. And those, those experiences that shaped me who I am today, I want to teach them to her now so she doesn't have it happen. And you see, she's... I mean, her mom does an amazing job with her. Both, both, my, both, her mom, both moms do an amazing job with her, with, their, with the girls. Like, but Arissa, like you said, is an old soul. She's, she's such an old soul. She's, she's super, like a little woman. A hundred percent. And it's mind blowing. But I now can appreciate that because of the fact that the times that I did spend eight hours in the gym, she had to learn how to be independent because daddy was busy working or doing whatever else. But she was prepared to do that because of who she is. Because she, who she is and she loves me. Yeah. Un unconditionally unconditionally right. yeah so how Dang. i how i've started to really have this self-forgiveness is really be open to that individual and take the loving from them and realize that we are everybody who we might have judgment about is doing the best they can at that moment at that moment so even though you've changed in how many years it, it doesn't matter you're still that person but wh who you are now was already inside you it's just it's just a reflection of where your your elevated state is exactly. at this point. So having that judgment of, you know, well, they're not doing, you know, I'm doing, I'm training as much as I can, and that guy should be training, but he's got a, he's got a life. You're doing the best you can in this at, time and at this time, and that can change. So having compassion for everyone, that's the thing, everyone. So somebody who may have judged you before, you're that same person. You've just evolved, evolved. Yeah, yeah I like that. It, it's crazy, right? And so it's, it's yeah, it's an eye opener for us to do some self reflection on ourselves before we have that judgment. Exactly, and and that's something again, the breathing, the meditation work. I mean, I got big into it. I mean, back in 2017 when I sold my gym and got into it, I was doing ice baths. I was doing deep breathing. I, I was you know I was using cannabis and breathing together to really just really connect things to really see how it was because I don't believe in over the prescription pills from the VA or anything like that. That's just not who I am. Like I've seen too many buddies who have had PTSD and had those problems, take those things and are no longer here today. Like that's just it, right? So it's kind of like, well, how do I fix myself? And that was one of the things where I get into that and the idea of breathing and meditation and really being okay with self-reflection was when I started really opening the doors to this emotional intelligence, right? I started leveling up in my emotional intelligence is the way I like to look mm -hmm. at it. That's all it is, is emotional intelligence. How emotional, how emotional intelligent are you to be able to handle the things in front of you? Because the more intelligent we are, 
the more we can handle. I love this idea of intelligence. It's so funny. I just found myself drooling. Like I'm <laughs> drooling over intelligence. Intelligence is, is creativity. Intelligence can only come in the present moment. Intelligence and being smart are two totally different things. Intelligence is like really expansive. So as far as like mindfulness and meditation practice, like what does that look like in your life now? Wow. So I, I, I do yoga every, I try and do yoga four days a week. So I do yoga four days a week. Um, I do breathing work four days a week. And that is my happy medium to blend into my life. I mean, I used to be extreme with it. I had a huge morning routine for it all. And as I slowly started moving through my life, as, as I got better with it, I started finding what really worked for me. Again, that's what it's all about when we go back to the athlete, right? I need to learn what works for you. Exactly. And once I totally. find what works for you or works for myself, I'm going to keep that there because that pattern gives me a positive outlet. It gives me a positive uh, uh, results. And just let it be what it is. Let maybe it be it'll be five days. Maybe it'll be seven yeah. days. Maybe it'll go to three days. And it's like, what, what is it that, that, um, that works for you? And, and really finding uh, Kyla, who we had on, who's a Kundalini teacher, is talking about like the internal compass. And yeah. like whatever it is that gets you to start dialing into that internal compass and understand what works for you is, is like, that is your unique path. And, and that... Um, when you were working eight to eight and, and things like that, like you were, it was all in right order. It was. It's and, and all in right order all the time. It's, and that's, that's, that's the cool part about it, right? Is like the intent was correct. The intent was there. The purpose just wasn't the right purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's okay, right? Like I have my hand tattooed is, it, it says not every, not everyone who wanders are lost. It's true, right? Not everyone who wanders is lost. It, it might, we're always in search of our purpose, no matter what. Mm -hmm. After I got done running my hundred mile race, I had to realign my purpose again. And realize that my purpose is to be best father possible and the best man possible to my kids and to my partner and, and those around and those around me mm -hmm. also. And and part of that might be running hundreds it does. or fifties or like I, I call it my sub purpose. So you have sub purposes. Yeah. So you have a purpose and you have sub purposes that just keep your your purpose up there. That's what I call it. That's how I approach it, right? Like I tell that to my athletes all the time. It's like, like the pyramid. It's again the pyramid, right? That's all it goes back to. And can you see how like I'm very creative in terms of like how I try and put things together? Still not very good at putting it on paper just yet. But you have me sit here and it's talk about here. it. It's all up here. And I'm actually super happy that I'm not no longer the rest of the year chasing a big two hundred mile race. I know what it takes to run 100 miles, and I've learned to manage my life running 200 miles, no doubt. I've had a really stressful time for work, planning for a 100-mile race, having all these things, and it all works. Let's go ahead and try for a 200-mile race next year when we have, you know, I can create new patterns and all those things. But right now, I can now go back to the things that I've gained mm -hmm. in the past two and a half years of ultra running and ultra endurance and this self-reflection and this finding of discipline and vulnerability and, and you name it. I want to learn how now to like, how do I, how, do, how, how can I now put it out on paper or how can I help others do it? And right now, the only way I'm good at doing it is by speaking about it, you know? How, so I don't want to lose sight of this. How, no. what was the last 50, would you just say 64 to 84? So yeah. What happened after that? So like, I don't want to lose sight of this. Right? So how did so, you get through that last? So 64 to 84, I picked up one of my, so luckily 55 to 64, I picked a pacer up. My buddy Dave, who I run with all the time out here. We have a running group, a small little run group called, called the hooligans out here up for, we call it hooligan monster rock because the monster rocks out here off the 76 and 15. It's like a 4.2 mile loop with yeah, 1500 like, feet. Yeah, but it's like climb, 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 climb. I love that one for I've, strength. I've done, I've done that. I've done that. Uh, I've done five loops with 8,000 feet in gain in five and a half hours. Yeah, you gotta, it's, it's a gnarly trail. Yeah, we're doing it's a- short and gnarly. Yeah, this Saturday we're doing birthday loops for myself. So we're going to see how many loops we can get in six hours. 
You guys are more than welcome to come join if you like. <laughs> you can I jump like in. That. I love I love Montserrat. I, so it's funny, right? Is like now going back to you know the question you asked of, of sixty four to, to eighty four, or and then after, and like, then after how did you finish that. Yeah. So I didn't even get into like what happened, why it was a dogfight. So yeah. going into this race, I was not happy about running because I felt like going back to my purpose as a man. Yeah. I knew in like for some reason some instinct in me was upset that I was leaving my pregnant uh, partner by herself, not able to talk to her for the next two hours or three hours and not be in contact with her, not knowing what was going on. So that was a stressor already from the start. You were in the struggle from the start. A hundred percent. I was in the struggle from the start. Be- perfect equation. Because of the fact that I was going and doing something. It's like going off to war back in, our, back in the past, going off to war and leaving your loved one back. Like, how would you feel if you had to go off to war not knowing if you're coming back or not with a pregnant loved one? Again, bridging similarities and, and, and things to make things for me. That's just only how I do it. So I was upset already about that. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't figure out what it was. I couldn't figure that out at all. I, I was just like, what's going on? I literally had to work through it multiple times and replay my life. And why is this going on? And when I figured out that it wasn't that, and I realized work's going great. My personal life's going great. My athletic career's going, like endeavors are going great. What is it really? And it started digging in deeper. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Someone right in front of me, I got heat cramps. <laughs> From mile 18 all the way to 55, I cramped from the bottom up all the way down. And I had to climb out of Noble Canyon. I had a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of different things that just like really made me fight. I rolled my ankle, messed up my calf. So getting to mile 64, I already had to change shoes because my calf was messed up. I had already been dehydrated already. I had been already cramping. I already had rolled my ankle. I had already been fighting mentally throughout the whole time straight up from the start and if anybody's ran an ultra marathon if you're fighting from the start it makes that race that much harder because they're already hard as it is right now i'll say this i ran kodiak 100 last year which is a 100 mile race with 20k invert um that took me like 35 hours my first 100 mile race i was on path i was on pace to finish sub 30 and blew up everything else rookie mistakes this race my goal was like man i'm coming here fitter than i've ever been before i want to hammer it home the last 16 miles because i knew i had the legs on me mile 83 to 84 my calf took a turn on me and i couldn't run no more i could barely hike could barely run i could barely hike or barely run so my last nine miles was a struggle i literally power hiked a 17 minute mile pace for the last nine miles in one of my pacers how did you shift how that mental shift happened like calf boom nine miles to go okay now what i i was i was i was upset angry at myself that I'm no longer an asset to my loved ones or to my buddy who's pacing me. I've now become a liability. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I only do these because I want to, I'm trying to be an asset to my life. If I'm going to do these and it becomes a liability, why am I doing them? And that last nine miles made me realize like, that's when I was like, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't be running Tahoe this year. I shouldn't be doing certain things. I need to be putting this in perspective. I need to be doing all these things. So mile 91 or 91 to hundred was probably when I gained everything together. Yeah, I had a great time from 64 to 84 with my pacer, Ian, who follows some of my programming on Softly through the Apex programming, right? We have a, a, it's a concurrent strength and endurance program. He's following it, getting ready for Kodiak 50 miler. And he was out there crushing it with me. I mean, it, we did 80, 84 to 64 was 20 miles with 4K in climbing. And we did it probably within five hours pretty darn good so, so yeah but this is i know you're i'm trying to see where you want me to go this with is, this no i think uh, you've already said it like uh, this is the very essence it's when the, when people get to mile 90 in their life what the, whatever the struggle is they stop 
They stop. The calf, they stop. Yeah. So even though you had this internal dialogue, you just kept oh. going. You're still, you're still like thinking about it. Your calf's hurting. Everything's happening. But to pull away those last 10 miles is where the greatness... It happened. Happened. So when, when we come across this with, with um, athletes and with, with other podcasters we have, they talk about the same thing. People stop way too early. early. Yeah. Way too early. They give up. And, and that's why I called it the dog fight because you had a fight from start to finish. But you needed that struggle, right? We, I it's needed like that struggle. The caterpillar needs to struggle out of the cocoon before yeah. it can become a butterfly. Like 100%. You needed, that was a perfect recipe for you to be able to, to have that freedom and experience this understanding of how you want to move forward and how you're finding um, this balance in your life and... Um, and what's important right now. Yeah. What's important right now. But you had to have that struggle. Like that was just so perfectly orchestrated. Um, yeah. So what do you have to say? Like just to get this starting to wrap up, um, what do you have to say to that person who's like in the struggle and they're about, they're about to walk away? The struggle is only temporary. It's only temporary. And, and the cool thing to know that, that it's temporary, that there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to work through it. Again, that's one thing I had to learn in ultra marathons is like you hit a low, you'll always hit a low, but how well are you at managing that low to get out of it? And it's the same thing when someone's looking at about to give up or quit. You're, you're at the right perfect time right now with so many opportunities to grow, but it's only temporary for that opportunity for you to grow. Take advantage of it. What's Throw the, yourself into it. What's the essence when you're in the low, what's the essence, like the essence of the feeling that allows you to keep going when you're in the low? So for me, it, it comes down to my purpose. Like, what is my real purpose? What is my true north? And as cliche as it sounds, that thing works, right? And we go ahead and look at hierarchy of needs pyramid. One of the very first things on there is, is needs. Like we need, we need security, we need love, and we need, you know, a roof over our head. We need those kinds of things, right? And at the very end of the day, it comes down to what do you truly need to fulfill that void? or to get through that low. Because my first 100 mile race with Kodiak 100, I, was, I hit a low mile 70 to 81, blisters on my feet, climbing up sugar loaf with 3K and climbing over six miles. And the only thing that could get me back to the aid station was my partner was Savannah. Like I just, all I cared about was getting a hug from her and a kiss from her and being like, okay, let's make this happen. And again, I came back to that again, to this last race from nine 91 to, to hundred. I was like, I just can't wait to see Savannah. That's all I want to do. I just want to hug her and see her. And I just want to be with her. And that's all it was. So it went back to that need of love for me. And I think that a lot of people need to really find that true North or find that real deep, deep, deep sense of need to get them through that low. Take advantage of those opportunities that are being presented to you right now so that you do find that true north and that true need because it's like a little kid going through a toy chest, right? You have a hundred toys inside that toy chest and you, you're looking for which one you wanna play with. That's all you're doing while you're in that struggle. All of a sudden you get to the very bottom of the toy chest after it's empty and there it is. And that's the exact same way I look at the struggle is you're that, you're that little kid struggling through that toy box right now looking for that need and all of a sudden you find it and you're like, yes! And your day is made. I like the analogy of the kid too because the, the kids don't overanalyze things. No. Analytical. I was just on a call this morning with an athlete ex, ex, going through the, the, the mind, how it wants to know. And, and you can't know until you put yourself there. So I like 
the opportunities. And I, and just this past year or two in my own experience coming off long bike rides and you consider, well, should I do a run off the bike? And you think about how many opportunities do you have? How many, how many long bike rides do you have in any given buildup plan? You know, there's not a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot. So should, are you going to embrace are you going to embrace this opportunity to see what your legs will show in that moment? Or are you going to just be like, well, you know, I got this long bike ride done. I'm done. And, and what ha- what's happened is back to the thing about the kids, they don't overthink. So as adults, we try to overthink, well, if I do do the run, I need to hit this pace and I need to, th- th- that stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. It's you put yourself into this struggle. So you've done a five hour bike now go out and see what you have on the run. Like you're, yeah. you're not going to do this too often. So it's that flip. And I feel this is a, a similar situation where you just, you turn off that analytical mind and you begin to act. Yeah. So you, you stop thinking, you're, okay, well, this is what, I, and back to your pur- the purpose, the love, what is that inner deep drive to get you to that end point, the hug from, or, or kiss from your, yeah. your, your partner. And, or is it the up level of to see if you can do it and, as you seize those opportunities and detach from the expectations, you will naturally, there's no doubt about it, you're going to grow. Yeah. You're going to grow. You don't need to know like A, B, and C. Like you're going to grow and it's going to change the whole uh, picture of your life. Yeah. And I like that. The, I like the word you brought up was expectations because that's honestly what we detach ourselves to is the expectation of doing something. And that was... I'd use, if you like social media is a, is a dangerous drug, as I like to say it, <laughs> because it creates ex- expectations that are sometimes not really, really an expectation that we should probably be focusing on in our life at that time and moment. But we let this, this social media instance platform drive us to these expectations that might not be the expectation that we really need. It's just, I, I call it false idolization. And, you know, I learned about false idolization when I was 14 years old listening to a band called Remembering Never. <laughs> it's a hardcore band, you know, but they talk about false idolization and it's like, whoa, okay, cool. And you start understanding it and, and I got lost in it, right? But going back to that expectation word, we get attached to it so much if we have these expectations, but really the only person that has expectations to it is you, no one else. So if it doesn't align with your current lifestyle or your current purpose, then it shouldn't be an expectation. Realistically, we shouldn't have expectations in life. Right, especially if we're pulling them from outside because all of our answers, which is what you found at SD100, are it's, all within us. Yeah, and sometimes, Many times, it takes us to be brought to our knees to get those answers, but they are all inside. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny. Is like I like the way you said it. I was being proactive in trying to figure it out, and I think that's the problem with most... Most people nowadays, they're not, they don't want to be proactive in working on something because they're afraid of what to find. Fear is a crazy thing. And we can get into a whole nother conversation on that. But fear is a very, very funny word to me because I've used fear in a positive way and I've used fear in a negative way. And I think a lot of people use fear in a very negative approach and it, it's, it, it puts a cap on them. It puts that central governor on them, right? And we have to be okay with fear. And we have to look at fear and view fear as a, a positive outlet. Use it to drive you to have those opportunities, right? Like, you don't think I was fearful about dropping from San Diego 100, having cramps, rolling my ankle, and still having to do this and not being in the fight? Hell yeah, but guess what it did to me? It drove me to be proactive. You see how I've taken fear now, instead of looking at it as a negative, I've just created opportunities for myself. Boom, boom, boom. I use fear as that little kid in that chest, in that toy box, looking for that toy, and I finally found that right toy that I want to play with. 
Yeah. hundred percent. I love it. Uh, so how can people follow you? So people can follow me Instagram at coach underscore GB three. Um, they can find me there. Facebook. I don't use Facebook as much. I'm really horrible at re- returning messages on Facebook. Um, but you can find me there at George Brunos the third. Um, but I usually am just through Instagram. If anybody have questions for me or anything else like that, George at softfeet.com. Um, and if they don't want to get me there, or I don't respond fast enough in there. They can go to George third or three eyes at gmo.com if they looking for stuff also there. Um, but overall though, if you, I'm pretty active on social media, on Instagram and answering people's questions, I do have certain times I'm on and off of it. Um, just to kind of manage life. But yeah, other than that, I, I, I try and have a fast response back. And to you're people. also a podcast host for softly. Yes. Yes. I actually do. We, I host podcasts. It was our registered dietitian, Brooke, I know we didn't talk much about Softly, more of us, but we do have a registered dietitian with Softly who runs our nutrition programming under our app. Um, and she does a bunch of stuff with her kind of clientele and everything else. So, and then I do my stuff with my clientele and we bring it in in terms of, of that to really blend the performance podcast. So I bring, you know, the performance side of things. She brings the nutrition side of things and they just got done doing one on sleep and how to reset your circadian rhythm uh, with utilizing nutrition. Awesome. So, and how can people listen to that podcast? They can head to iTunes and type in Die Living. Um, and underneath there, you'll see our three podcasts that we do run. We have our normal Die Living podcast. We have the Softly Performance podcast. Um, and then we have one that's just called uh, The Bottom of the Barrel. And that's just one for anybody who doesn't want to ta- listen to fitness or listen to people talk about like being motivational and they're just kind of having fun with it. And that's ran by Doug. Um, but yeah, you can reach us on there on, on those podcasts. And too. what's the website people can find out more about Softly? Softly, they can look at www.softly.com. If they want to go and check out the training programs, go to train.softly.com um, and check it out. We do offer a seven week or seven, seven day free trial to go ahead and check our programs out um, with the nutrition app as well. And again, it's really cool is the nutrition programming is very uh, built in to move along with you. So you can put in your weight, you can put in your body fat percentage, you can do all those things and it calculates macros for you. So if you do start losing weight slowly over time period, you can adjust those numbers or adjust those numbers in there and it will go ahead and adjust to you. We have full on meal plans for every day. We have multiple different meals in there that you can pick from. We have a grocery shopping list on there that you can use and then you name it. We've, we've really tried to make it as simple for the individual as possible coming to it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something like, and I I push the nutrition side of things because it is one of our foundations that we need, not just the training side. Um, yeah, you got to fuel the body temple. 100%. You guys know that 100% too. Yeah, we do. Awesome. <laughs> George, thank you so much. This hey, thank was you. amazing. And we'll probably have to have you on again because yeah. I feel like there's so much more we can dive oh into. God, we didn't even touch upon math and nutrition. And no, we didn't time. do anything. We'll touch all about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. All these conversations we've had in steady state. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you.